0: Generosity, the esteem that people hold in it, and the extent to, to which we practice it, serves as, as a bellwether for the moral and spiritual state of American life. Write Christian Smith and Hilary Davidson in their book, the, the Paradox of Generosity. Do you think that's true? is generosity a bellwether for the moral and spiritual state of American life? Meaning how generous we are reveals the the state of our moral and spiritual life. And pushing that line of thought farther, Smith and Davidson put forth that generosity is truly a, a way of life. Even an orienting map I wonder, is generosity a way of life for you? Is it an orienting map? This fall, our theme is Flourish, Nine Keys to Practicing Our Faith, and we're we're drawing inspiration from a study by Harvard University called the Human Flourishing Project. What researchers discovered was when we choose to align our lives with, with a faith community and... To practice our faith, we are much likely to, to exhibit risky behaviors or, or or addictions or even face mental health challenges like, like depression. We flourish in other words, and how do we engage in that alignment with a faith community and, and what practices are we talking about? We began our series two weeks ago reflecting on Peppered moth caterpillars and how they adapt to their surroundings even when they are blinded. Uh, Nature, we observed, has given creation, has given you and I this ability to adapt to our surroundings, which begs the question to what are we adapting our lives this fall? Last Sunday, Lynn reminded us of, of the first. Adaptation, the first practice that enables us to flourish, and that is when we choose to spend time in the Word of God. Why? Well, Lynn brought our attention to her somewhat ambivalent relationship with squirrels, to put it delicately. And squirrels, while they are perpetually skittish, are they not? And they are perpetually anxious. But studies show they relax when they hear birds sing As the article put it, when they hear the sound of no danger. The first way we can move from from risky behaviors and addictions and, and mental health challenges is when we choose to listen to the sound of no danger. And that is God's word. Words that offer us peace, grace, and joy. Words that draw us into a safe place, and away from our otherwise stressful lives and world? Have you ever considered, I wonder, joining a Bible study this fall? On our website, you'll find an extensive list of the many that occur every week at Mayflower. Which brings us to our second way we can flourish, the the second practice of faith, and to our bulletin cover. Soman Chanani is the author of the popular series The School of Good and Evil. It sold a a whole lot of copies. I read an interview with Soman Chanani this week and he made this fascinating observation. He said, I think a wonderful exercise a person can do is to remember what their favorite children's book was. That book that, that you read over and over and over again. Because somewhere in that book is a clue, not only to what makes you tick as a person, but also to your life's purpose. That's an intriguing thought, isn't it? Do you have a favorite children's book or series? Have you ever considered what that particular story might reveal about who you are, what makes you tick, and even your life's purpose? I thought about Chanani's observation this week, and what almost immediately came to mind were Frank and Joe Hardy. Do you remember the Hardy Boys? They de- debuted in 1927, and they still sell about a million books a year. Their father, Fenton Hardy, was a detective, and they lived in the, the town of Bayport, As one website put it, never were so many felonies committed in a simple small town. (laughs) You had murder and drug peddling and racehorse kidnapping and diamond smuggling all in Bayport. And along with their friends, Chet and Biff, and their girlfriends, Callie and Iola, the two brothers solved crimes and and fought hard for for good against evil. And growing up, I read every Hardy Boy book I could find. I even reread some of them. And I realized this week how the Hardy Boys did give me this this vivid example of of to strive to do what is right, to be brave, to not hesitate when facing a problem, and to step boldly into action. Even their name, Hardy, framed the this, this stirring image of what it looked like to be a young boy. Which got me to thinking this week, if Chanani's observation is true, how might it even apply to Jesus? In other words, what stories shaped his life? What helped Jesus figure out who he was and what his life's purpose might be? Of course, the answer is stories that shape Jesus. We can actually read for ourselves in what Christians call the Old Testament. Philip Yancey is one of my favorite Christian authors, and he makes the helpful observation that that when we read the Old Testament, we read the Bible that Jesus read. These are the prayers that Jesus prayed, the poems Jesus memorized, the, the songs he sang, the, the bedtime stories he heard as a child. As a child, he would have heard of, of Abraham and Sarah's courage. He would have heard of Moses' trust in God. He would have heard of Ruth's faithfulness and, and, and Joseph's generous spirit. Now, he didn't read those stories in a book with a cover like you find on your bulletin. He, each book, in the Old Testament, it was, was read in a synagogue with a scroll that step, stretched 20 to 30 feet. As Yancy explains, a Jewish person entering a synagogue would see stacks of scrolls. Not a single book. But in those scrolls, Jesus traced every important fact about himself. He quoted from those scrolls when he faced controversies with the Pharisees. The images, the the Lamb of God, the shepherd, the stone the builders rejected, that that Jesus used to define himself, well, they were all in those scrolls. Which brings us to our passage for the morning from the book of Proverbs, which reads, "A, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes himself will be refreshed. The great 19th century devotional writer Oswald Chambers once said, The Psalms teach you how to pray. Job teaches you how to suffer. The Song of Solomon teaches you how to love. And Proverbs teaches you how to live. Much of the Proverbs have been attributed to King Solomon, one of the wisest people in the history of the Israelites, and it offers its readers today, as it did during the time of Jesus, guidance in how to flourish. In the New Testament, we read how Jesus lived out that teaching. A generous person will prosper. Whoever it refreshes others is refreshed. As he multiplied bread and fish and gave it to those who were hungry As he told stories of generous widows and and the father who threw a feast when his wayward son came home. As he taught his disciples, it was blessed to give than it is to receive. Or as he said in our reading this morning, give and it will be given to you. Have you ever heard of the World Happiness Report? It started back in 2012 by notable figures such as Jeffrey Sachs, and it attempts to identify characteristics that enable us to be happy. This week, I spent time browsing the report and was fascinated when I read that spending money on others is associated with higher levels of well-being. The evidence is pretty broad and wide. This was fascinating. For example, an individual who pays more money in taxes, thereby directing a portion of their income to others, those people report a greater well-being in over two decades of research. In a representative sample of 600 American adults, individuals who spent more money in a typical month on on others exhibited a greater well-being than those who spent money on themselves. This relationship spans the globe responses from a, a Gallup poll of 130 countries say that financial generosity measured as if someone has donated to a charity in the past 30 days. That's one of the top six predictors of living a good and happy life. But this was my favorite example. They gave 20 toddlers six treats and asked them to share those treats with others. And then they studied the toddlers' faces. Toddlers smiled the most when they gave those treats away than when they kept them to themselves. Generosity, the esteem that people hold in it, and the extent to which they practice it, serves as this bellwether, a bellwether as to our morals and our spiritual life. And I think Smith and Davidson are on to something when they say it's, it's a way of life. It's a map that orients us. At Mayflower, we seek to embrace this way and this map, this this spiritual practice, as we are generous as individuals and as a congregation. As you know, we've given away over a million dollars from our annual budget over the past decade. We've balanced our budget for the past 10 years and fully funded our our music program, our children's program, our youth program, our, our staffing and our facility. We've completed two capital campaigns that poised us to offer hospitality for years to come. So this fall, I invite you to hear the stories and the lessons that Jesus listened to as a young child. The stories and the lessons that shaped who he was and gave purpose to his life stories and lessons that describe a a way of life and a map that enables each of us to flourish. For indeed, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes, others will be refreshed. And it is indeed more blessed to give than it is to receive.